With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. How you doing tonight, buddy? Oh, buddy, it's hump day. It was also my Monday. Um, so two good things where it's the first day of the week, but also I'm on the back half after tomorrow. There you go. Always a good week. Had some chili tonight for dinner, and it's the perfect weather outside for chili. Oh, man. It is fall, y'all. It is, it is fall. fall. And we looked at the weather forecast for the next 10 days, and it's like not getting above, maybe getting above 70, not Barely. below 65. At night, we're looking between like 44 and like 50. It is fall. It is get the fire pit going, chill out. Halloween is in a few days. Um, just always a fun time. It's on a Sunday oh, yeah. this year. Um, so that kind of the middle ground, not perfect, but not terrible. Could absolutely be on a worse day. It could. That's Monday. It's next year. It's going to be chaos and hell for those who are parents and have never done it. Brian, I mean, you have got to do it once in our children's lifetime. Monday, Halloween is the most God awful day the worst it's the worst i mean you sit here and you know you're, you're you're coming off a weekend so it's a monday rush and then you're, you're you're getting them from school or picking them up from daycare and then you're storming home as fast as you can already tired in hell from the weekend and the first day of work to get them dressed to go out trick-or-treating it's one of those things too you got to know to call it an early night right like after you've been like an hour and you see they have enough. All right, we're good. Yeah, this you're you're like two thirds full. We're we're gonna call it. We're gonna call it right now. But but we got more houses to go to. No 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 no. They're 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 gonna. You to, did good. You did you good. Did we, we're, they're cutting off their lights. They're gonna go in. So look forward to it this weekend though, and uh, obviously looking forward to the Hokies game, um, which. I just looked at my schedule. I'm going to have to watch that thing on a full replay. Got events and stuff on Saturday. So how about you? Are you going to be able to catch it live? Or are you going to be no, – no, essentially what you said last week. What did you say last week as we were driving back? Tape delay. Tape delay. No, no anxiety, right? No anxiety, yeah. Um, 
it, it was kind of, I mean, especially considering the outcome of last week's game, mm-hmm. being able to watch the, the tape for the first time without having the outcome hanging over your head. Uh, yeah. that, that was, that was kind of ideal. Um, uh, so I'm not going to be watching it that way this week. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately for me, um, yeah, okay. I get to enjoy, I get to enjoy the game or lament the game, uh, in real time. So the three hour stomach ache, get your Pepto-Bismol ready. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope we're not, we're not dealing with that again. All right. Well, before we get into Georgia Tech, there are obviously things we're going to be talking about here, folks. A lot of it this week we're looking at really directly has to deal with, you know, potential future of Hokie football. And, Brian, you know, the first thing that I wanted to look at, and this is not in the ACC, this is not even in the eastern part of the country. Texas Tech earlier this week fires Matt Wells and – you know, if it did not light up a uh, an idea in your mind of what potentially could happen, then you haven't been paying attention. Um, Matt Wells had been there three years, 13 and 19, um, had come off a successful run at Utah State. I still think he's a good coach, but I think Texas Tech sees the writing on the wall, and they are trying to get way ahead of this, especially with Oklahoma and Texas, both leaving the conference in a few years, try to get themselves on stable ground. And, you know, Brian, you kind of sit here, and I read an article from Shahan Jaraha, if I pronounced his name wrong, I apologize, and he starts discussing the coaches that could potentially go to Texas Tech. And it's some names that have been thrown out for our job, at least one, but a lot of other ones, you keep talking about, Fuente's going to land somewhere. Yep. He is, he is. And you've been talking about G5. Well, the first name, and it popped up earlier today, the guy's already been contacted, is Jeff Trailer down at UTSA. Um, if you haven't read on Jeff Trailer, guy basically, Texas high school coaching legend, multiple titles at the 4A level, did not get into collegiate coaching until like six years ago. Yep. So there's one, right? That's one. So there's one right there. Then you look Sonny Dykes down at SMU. Yep. You know, if if Sonny Dykes had been at several big programs, went out West Coast, did not have much success. Fair has has been very successful back at SMU the last few years. Direct connection. It would kind of be like Shane coming here. His dad was Spike Dykes, who coached for 15 years there, kind of helped them set up the success that Mike Leach had, you know, for a decade there. Yep. That's a G5 landing spot. I, I don't know if, if SMU comes off a good season, goes and hires a guy who's, you know, three and nine. I hope it's not that, but I'm looking worst case. Um, maybe that. Then they talk about Graham Harrell, and they talk about Kendall Browell's offensive coordinators at major P5 programs, right? Yep. USA Today has already written the article for when they should go out to USC and repair his image by leading that. So you hear all these names and these potential positions and where they could be leaving. If he's fired, it's an easy step for him to get in any of those positions. Don't you think, Brian? 
Yeah, and this is the trickle down we were talking about when we were looking at some of the prospects last week. And, you know, like everything, it's going to be some jobs are going to open up. That's going to cause some folks maybe in other in other areas to move on. It looks like there's going to be just as much uh, movement at the G5 level as there there will be at the Power 5 level. That's going to open up spots where, you know, maybe Fuente gets a soft landing, um, which will help us out, help him out long term. So, uh, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. But that also obviously has us talking about some of the stuff with Fu on the hot seat, obviously, right? Uh, the the Feldman uh, stuff that Ooh. came out was pr- pretty uh, pretty on the nose. Um, pretty and said it right, like yeah, he, that he is at odds with people up in Blacksburg. We, I mean, that's things we're hearing and feeling. And then he mentioned names. Um, we mentioned Dykes. Dykes was put back in there. Um, you know, essentially an edit to the article. But the first name was Billy Napier. Yep. And, you know, Billy Napier is a name that is on a ton of Pokey's lips right now. So, you know, it's it's not a not a shock. I mean, what he's done down with the Raging Cajuns is very impressive over the last few years. Um, and just kind of in general, it's he's a guy that was at Clemson when Dabo was first starting. He got let go, spent some time at Alabama couple of C jobs, and, you know, he's been at, you know, again with the Raging Cajuns down at uh, Louisiana Lafayette since 18. And, you know, basically won the Sunbelt championship last year, has won the division, the West division of the Sunbelt every year he's been there. Yeah. Um, uh, l- Let me ask how you feel about that. A G5 offensive coordinator – Oh, actually, him and Sonny Dykes, even though Dykes has head coaching experience at the P5 level. How do you feel about getting a G5 head coach with primarily as an offensive background? So I think the the difference with Napier compared to Fuente is kind of the stops he's made Um, between Clemson, uh, Bama. I mean, he's 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 been at some high profile schools. He knows how winning works at the power five level uh, at, at high profile schools. Yeah. So I think that's the difference that when we look at Napier compared to Fuente or compared to your typical uh, G5 coach, thinking Chadwell as an example. Yeah. Um, and a couple other guys. So um, that's where Napier really kind of separates himself, I think, from that pack. Um, the other name that we keep getting thrown out there is uh, Clawson. Dave Clawson. So Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. So uh, um, that that's one where, you know, he can't come in and expect to do what he's doing at Wake Forest and, yeah. and be happy with, you yeah. know, being a plucky overachiever compared to, the, the, the type of guys he's bringing in and, and, and the program he, if he comes here, it's kind of, kind of got to be, be a mandate where, all right, you need to bring in some coordinators that are going to lift the recruiting up. And then the expectations are going to be what they normally are. That's, you know, win the coastal every year compete for the ACC title every few years, uh, potentially get, get a playoff bid uh, in there as well. So 
that's going to be the interesting thing to watch out for um, with Clawson is who who he brings if 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 he would get that job and and what that would entail. But it's, it's going to be interesting next few weeks to see how this plays out uh, for Justin Fuente in Blacksburg. It's very true, and, and with Clawson, you know, seven and zero this year, under five hundred his first seven years there. I look at especially. Let's start with 2016 Ford seven eight seven eight four last year. Let's not worry about that seven and zero this year. He's got to add a plus two to every seven win year. You're going nine ten nine ten nine and zero out of the gate. Yeah, probably can live with it. The, the one thing I worry about Clawson now. You've seen him talk. You've heard him speak. It feels like a Fuente 2.0. You you don't feel the energy coming off of him, um, which is something I feel like we we need um, at this point in time. And you know we need the guy. Yeah. Do I, do I, because I, I mean it's, it. de- it's definitely the it's it's probably even less sexy than Napier, right? In terms, oh, it's of, significantly less sexy <laughs> in terms of the pick there. I mean, um, Clawson's in, in his mid fifties. Napier's in his mid forties. Yeah. So age-wise is one thing too, um, and then Clawson stop along the way. You know, his biggest job since he started coaching in 1989 is um, <laughs> thanks to White D. Vic out there saying Clawson, he ain't it. Uh, I, I'm 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 kind of with you. He has some good stops. To me, he would be like the perfect guy to make his career. Going to somewhere. Let me let me let me do this for a second. Um, like he would have been a good Tennessee to stop the bleeding, get the guys to play good, solid football, and then in three years after he went seven, eight, and eight, then let him go. We're gonna let him go, just not quite there. He kind of reshapes your image, but it's not gonna be able to take that step. Yeah, Yeah, and I think you know. I, I think overall it's going to be hard for him. I don't know if he has the connections to bring in the the coordinators, and I don't think right. that he's going to really energize the fan base or the um, the donors uh, and, and just the overall foundation of the uh, of the program the way I think we need after this. Exactly. So I think that's kind of where he is. And plus, with him, he's fifty four. You spend the next five to six years down at weight, continuing to win seven, eight, nine games, you're set for life yep. because of who they are as a program. All right, other big news, Brian, really, and I think this affects the Hokies multiple ways, recruiting, scheduling in the future. Sunbelt essentially has expanded, and they've expanded to three teams the Hokies are very familiar with. I actually make it four because we played Southern <clears throat> Miss um, – before as our off-season schedule. Marshall, JMU, ODU, and Southern Miss all added. That is now a 14-conference league, looking like they're probably going to have an East and West division. Um, It's going to help them with traveling, so it'll save some some money for some of them folks, uh, at least for for most of those games. Uh, And it, it brings in, you know, Marshall, ODU, Southern Miss. They've got kind of that cachet uh, already. And mm-hmm. then you got JMU taking a step up there. So yeah, um, I think that's going to be big for that, that conference. Um, it definitely gets football centric programs 
um, mm-hmm. into the mix there for them. And that that's, that's what it's all about for the Sun Belt. So good for them overall in the long term. And like I said, it's going to help them with both their, um, essentially their footprint, but also help yeah. them with on the travel side of things as well. Yeah, big time with the travel side of things, because now essentially you're going to have teams that probably go from JMU being the furthest point north down to Georgia Southern and then the west starting in Alabama over to Texas State. For me, I think about it as a couple ways. Um, as a G5, it's as many as folks are not going to like this. JMU, ODU, Marshall, App State are going to appear as probably future G5 opponents. And there's no way if we go down the road where we think we're headed essentially to an expanded playoff, potentially expanded games, where you're going to play nine conference games, one, probably one to two P5 crossover games, and then one G5 game. This is who we're probably playing. You're you're not going to go too far up and away. Maybe even doing two for ones. I know people will be irritated as crap about that, but that's business now. Yeah. Um, but it's also one of those things. Some people might say, "Well, this might hurt recruiting because that low three star guy we've been on might go to JMU because he thinks he's going to get more time." Go back to the recruiting or excuse me the camp episode right yep with our buddy robbie compton these camps everybody's everybody goes to if there is a kid popping off at the jmu camp trust us and and he's starting to get offers we're going to be benefiting from that they're going to benefit from us we're going to benefit from them at least that's my opinion i might be wrong but i think it's going to help probably even more with in-state because some kid thinks he, I'm not good enough to go to the tech camp. He decides to go to the JMU camp. And, you know, JC Price is there scouting because he has old connections, looks at the kid and says, that's a, that's a P5 player. Yeah. Right. yeah I definitely think overall it's going to be a benefit for really everybody. I don't think there's really a negative to that um, overall. No, it's no negative. Brian's a little unfocused. Uh, Braves down. <laughs> Five to two right now. Big win last night. Big win. Big win last night. Um, hopefully we can do a little bit tonight and get back in it. Got got one run just in this past yeah. inning. So yeah. cut it from cut it from four to three. Uh so we'll see if we can claw back in and, and maybe steal another one here. Exactly. Kind of a big thing. Again, we talked about it Sunday night, twenty two years since they'd been there. I got a buddy David who actually with his cousin. They went to Houston for both games. They were going to go to Atlanta. And he told me, the you know the difference in ticket prices between Houston and Atlanta games? Probably double. Triple? Quadruple? Quadruple. <laughs> uh, he looked at um, he looked at prices for the Friday game in ATL was over 1100 Found one for right at 370 last night, 300 for tonight. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. I knew a lot of like a lot of the bad seats were going for almost a grand in Atlanta. So yeah. <laughs> but it's also one of those he's a hokey fan. I I'm I'm I was tempted to text him like you tell me you didn't want to like fly down for the Saturday game, go to watch Georgia Tech play. Make and a weekend of it. So so you could so you could scream fire for Wednesday at the away stadium. <laughs> there so, we go. It's all there. 
right, before we jump into Georgia Tech, we are going to look at a few Hokies news and notes. Um, the first one, I, I don't like to hear this, but Jermaine Waller was was asked if one thing, and he said, well, he's day-to-day. Yeah. Which, and that's the same status as last week. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether that means he's going to be a go for Saturday or not, we'll uh, that definitely time. leaves that up in the air, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, he gave it a go in the first series last week. And Tried. Wasn't there. Just wasn't there. And that's good. And this is, this is, and there could be criticisms of, you know, well, he's letting injured guys play. This is every level of football that happens. A, a guy who's been prepping and resting and it thinks it feels okay during warm-ups, you actually have to get out there in game action. I know someone said, you should know in warm-ups. Brian, I'm sure there were times you were banged up where you felt fine in warm-ups and the next thing you know you take the first snap and it's like, nope, <laughs> it's not happening today. Yeah, yeah. Um, there there are definitely times that, that that's happened, um, you know, it's one thing to to warm up and kind of run through stuff. It's another thing once you get in the heat of battle and pressing on it in ways that you didn't have to do in in warm ups, and all of a sudden you just don't. It feels off. Can't make can't, can't make it happen. And you've got to essentially tell the coach, I, I can't go, knowing that you're the liability. Versus, you know, there's some guys who might try to tough it out for two or three series and significantly hurt the team. So kudos to Waller for giving it the shot and then being. Essentially having the stones to say, I can't go today. All right, yeah. something else that was mentioned, Brian, and something else we've been talking about is the defensive in-depth. But word is Cole Nelson is coming on more and more. Somebody in the last recruiting class already kind of had that size. Um, what's your expectation from him going forward? His, his rest shirt is burned. There's yeah. no way we can get that back, you know, what do you what downs do you want to see him on that hopefully will help the defensive end position? Yeah, if if, uh, if I'm Chris Coleman, I'm I'm upset with that. But um, yeah, <laughs> with, with 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 Cole, I mean, it was necessary that one of those guys come on right because uh, of the exactly. depth issues that were created. Um, yeah, you know, in 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 part to school related issues and in part to just recruiting related issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cole coming on is going to be big, I think to, to give guys like Barno and Garbett some more, more time to rest up. Cause I mean, the big problem we've had is that, you know, defensive line has been burned out at the end of games. Yep. So hearing that, hopefully they put in more and more situations just to give those guys breathers to save when we need those last eight or ten snaps where they have a little more energy. Yep. All right, Brian, we listened to this today, and we literally had to pause this because it, it got me more irritated. Maybe it didn't get you as much irritated since you have coached before, but I'm sure by now everybody has heard with the game-winning touchdown, we were in the wrong coverage, and we didn't get checked into it. Okay, it was, what, 42 seconds left? Somewhere thereabouts, yeah. Somewhere thereabouts. We had two timeouts to burn. Yep. This is where we go back to game day management from a couple weeks ago on our recap of the pit episode, second half of it. If you're not in the right coverage, you need to be calling time out. And I know I'm shaking the computer screen. If I'm getting anybody sick out there, I'm sorry. Use it. Burn it. Even if they didn't catch it, they had 40-plus seconds left. 
you weren't going to have to use those timeouts for anything else. Yep. We didn't burn it, and we were in the wrong coverage, and we got burned. And Quinte, it's all on you. Well, I said this when we when we talked about it earlier. You're essentially saving the timeouts for your one percent chance to win, meaning that yes. you know, go, it, go driving the ball down the field for a touchdown with about thirty seconds left, instead of you know taking the timeout in your seventy five percent chance to win the game. Exactly, because like if you just the right coverage in and you take away that over the top. They could still potentially nickel and dime you into it, but you know you're not giving the play up. Yeah, it's, instead of a touchdown, you at least make them have to kick the field goal. There's a lot of machinations that go into to that that could create a miss, a block, whatever. Yep. Um, you always want to force them to to do it the hard way if you can. Exactly. So you know, Brian, good start to the sixth inning right there. Yeah. Got a a guy in scoring position, only one out. Yep, good start. All right, y'all, before we get into looking at Georgia Tech, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, Brian, let's start off with the offense here. Georgia Tech kind of looking at some overall numbers. 51st rushing offense, 56 passing offense, so a pretty balanced attack. Um, one thing they're not great at, but we have been clearly struggling with is giving up Third downs, they're 101 in the country, only converting about 35% of the time. Yep. Um, they are a 60-40 run. But what would you consider this type of offense uh, with their run down towards Tech? Um, it's still another one of those kind of like smash mouth type spread offenses. They do have some RPO elements that they have in, the, in that offense as well. So you're going to see a lot of RPO. You're going to see a lot of read option. You're going to see a lot of – um, between the tackle zone, a lot of inside zone. Um, and it kind of starts with Jeff Sims, their quarterback. Uh, he is a true dual threat. He's got good size, not, not as big as Schrader that we, that we saw last week, but still good size. Um, great runner, good, good vision, uh, when he's running the football, uh, throws the ball well, pretty accurate. Um, you know, decent decent job of getting the ball downfield as well uh probably the only big flaw in his game is decision making sometimes he throws it up sometimes he throws it flat when he needs to put a little bit more air under it uh so little things like that um you know kind of take away from it but overall i mean he's going to be um a handful oh absolutely uh you mentioned size six three two ten um he was a top 15 dual threat when he came out in 2020 so really this is only his second full year um, as a college football quarterback, he was a four-star guy. He had already missed two games this year, got a little banged up at the Northern Illinois. Um, we talked about how that could potentially be hurting them. They did lose that game, won the next week, but they've been going back and forth, wins, losses, wins, losses. Um, 
Yeah, the accuracy surprised me, Brian. I, I thought he'd probably be somewhere in the lower 50s. Now, 62% completion percentage, 1,089 yards, nine touchdowns, five picks. So that decision-making, um, really in the last three games, he's thrown the five picks. So, you know, it, it, it's not like it was one per game. He's sort of kind of bunched them up here um, in these last three games. But eight and a half per attempt, so definitely pushing the ball downfield. Yep. The rushing clip is crazy. 6.7 a carry, 320 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, another running quarterback. It is the kryptonite of every Virginia Tech Hokies, you know, defense for the last what feels like 30 years. So, you know, I think with him, he's he, like you said, you mentioned a lot of good pieces about him. And I tell you what, he's got a hell of a running mate in the backfield with him in Jameer Gibbs, man. 5'11, 200 pounds. And this kid, absolute stud, a top 50 player. He was the number four running back in his class back in 2020 out of Dalton, Georgia. Yep. I mean, had a good freshman year following it up, uh, 411 rushing yards. A little bit under five at 4.6 per carry with only two touchdowns. But the pass catching last year in seven games caught 21 receptions for 320. Um, excuse me, this year's caught 21 receptions for 320 yards at 15.2 per. He was at 24 receptions last year in seven games um, and slightly over that 320. So that's a big piece of his game. What else are we seeing from him, Brian? Yeah, he's a real dangerous all-purpose back. Um, when he gets to the second level, he's got that burst at the home run. He had a 71-yard touchdown against UVA um, where he just got up the middle, uh, ran past the linebackers and safeties, and just took it in. Uh, really good burst through the hole, um, above-average vision. And like you said, in the passing game, he does a good job of um, in the screen game and in the short passing game of, of making guys miss in space. Yeah, I saw a screen, one of the screenplays from the UVA game. It was set up perfectly, and when the blocks, he waited patiently, and when the blocks, he accelerated right up the field for about a 20-plus yard gain. And that's kind of where it scares you, right? Because if he was just a good one-way threat, we've already had some struggles with them. But, again, the passing game really worries me. Um, Now, they do have a couple good spellbacks. And Dante Smith and Jordan Mason both have over 250 yards this season um, from scrimmage. Smith, watch Smith. Um, and as, as good as Gibbs has ran, Gibbs has only three touchdowns, where Smith has four touchdowns. So let's keep an eye on him in the red zone and in goal line situations. But, Brian, obviously, we talk about the quarterback and the running back and this run game in general. What's the offensive line looking like? Good, bad, indifferent? I think it's looking better than we anticipated at the start of the year um, because they were pretty bad last year. Um, I'd say they're creeping into the above average category in the run blocking, especially the interior of the offensive line. Uh, Very hit or miss in pass pro. Um, they, they, They do tend to give up some sacks there. Um, And probably the standout player on the line is their center, Mikey Minahan. Um, he's done some really good things. You see him, um, kind of doing good jobs on the interior with the combos, getting up to the second level, um, getting those linebackers off the running backs and the quarterback. So that's what you want to watch for, for their offensive line. So watch many hand. 
Minihan, a three-star guy when he came out a few years ago, 6'3", 300. And from Honolulu, Hawaii. So you left Hawaii to come to Georgia Tech. I really hope he's like an engineering major or something because that is a long way to come to play for Georgia Tech football. No disrespect, but, you know. If if you know if you were playing offensive line in Hawaii, Brian, would you even leave the island? Nah. Nah. <laughs> All right. So let's take a look at the receiving core now. Two guys are real standouts. Me and Brian, we already discussed it earlier. You know, we'll usually throw in a tight end. They're tight ends block. Right, Brian? Yeah, I mean they'll occasionally catch a screen or like a, a, a dump off, but they're not any sort of they're not being kind of mapped out in the offenses as a weapon but they do have two very good outside or excuse me very two good two very good receivers what do you got on Kyrick McNown uh he is the slot receiver he kind of does it all um does a lot of uh screens uh short passes uh bubbles um but he'll he'll run the full route tree and 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 give you some work uh inside the numbers there as well so He's kind of their their guy that that does a little bit of everything. He'll move the sticks, but he'll also be a, a threat downfield. And he's also a good blocker on the perimeter that lets them open up stuff in the running game. Oh, nice. And McGowan is 5'11", 198. So, essentially, your slot receiver, perfect build. Not recruited by Georgia Tech, though. A Northwest transfer that came in from Dalton, Georgia as well. So, again, heavy state guy, goes to Northwestern for a few years, was a three-star and so far this year, averaging about 15 yards per catch, six touchdowns. Six touchdowns out of the slot is pretty crazy to me. Um, 24 receptions, 359 yards. Did you catch any of his touchdowns, Brian? Are they long, or are they, is it a mixture of long and when they get inside he, the He rest? did have a it's, – it's a mixture. He did have a long one against UVA early. Uh, I think it was their first or second okay. touchdown where he run, ran a, a, a deep crosser, got hit deep towards the end zone for a touchdown. I think it was about a 40-yarder. So so any spot on the field he could potentially house. Correct. Oh, wonderful. All right. Other guy, bigger-bodied guy, Malachi Carter, 6'3", 195, 15.6 yards per reception. So he one-ups McGowan there, 25 receptions, 390 yards, only one touchdown so far. So, obviously, maybe not a big-bodied receiver who high points the ball. Was a three-star out of Lawrenceville, Georgia. So, wh- why am I seeing 6-3 but only one touchdown, Brian? Uh, he's primarily their deep threat. They like to hit him um, deep uh, with with the pass. He's, he's a good job of taking the top off the defense. Um, plays a lot on special teams, too. Um, he doesn't do a whole lot in the red zone. Primarily in the red zone, they are very much a pounded in the end zone with their rushing attack or with their quarterback. They don't throw the ball a ton. And when they do, it's usually kind of the underneath stuff. So that's why you're not seeing a ton of production in the red zone there from him. I got you. So why only the one touchdown? I mean, and are they are they hitting him on other deep passes, or is it just one of those weird things that he's not getting any of them? He's just doing a lot of work between the twenties. Um, still okay. getting pretty pretty deep, uh, you know, twenty plus yards um, on a lot of these. But yeah, I think he has four catches for over thirty. So okay. he's, he's doing okay. a lot of work, just not as much uh, inside the twenties. Oh, okay. So it's essentially they're one of these teams pass to move the ball or running pass to move the ball, but 
only run the ball to score. Yeah, they're they're pounding it in once they get in the red zone usually. I got you. Um, and really, there's not really much else with their wideouts. You know, there wasn't anybody else that, to me, statistically jumped off. And when you kind of hear about power, smash ball spread, I'm probably – are we going to see two tight end sets or two tight ends and an H-back, Brian, with them? Or is it just they have a third receiver on the field to have a third receiver on the field? Um, you, you see a little bit of everything. They kind of mix up their sets, but usually they at least have one H-back on the field. Okay, got it. All right, we're going to flip over to the defense now. And I was kind of shocked to see the defensive numbers. They're 104 against the pass, so, I mean, dreadful against the pass. 88th against the run. 92nd in scoring defense, giving up about 29 a game. Um, and obviously, clearly, there's been, like last week, they scored 40 but lost 48 to 40 much to Brian's dismay when he takes Georgia Tech plus seven. But what type of defense are they running here, Brian? Is this another stack? Is this a 4-2-5? Is this a traditional 4-3? We got another stack. It's a, it's a little bit different, but it's another stack. Um, yeah, 3-3-5. Three, three, um, and kind of the usual suspects, the two the two we're going to focus on first is going to be the uh, Will linebacker, Charlie Thomas. Um, primarily their coverage linebacker, uh, really good tackler in space. Um, he's kind of the, the guy that keeps it going for them. Uh, make sure that things stay where they need to, um, kind of inside the hashes in the passing game. Oh yeah. And, and Thomas definitely pops out statistically. So you talk about keeping the defense going, moving. He definitely does that. He's from Thomasville, Georgia. He was a three-star, um, and, you know, being a three three five stack, they classify him defensive back linebacker at 6'2", So, a little smallish if we could get up to that second level to him. But let me just say something. He leads the team with three sacks. That's eye-opening to me. That a, a guy who's kind of the hybrid is leading the team in sacks. 53 tackles, five additional tackles for loss, two picks, and one forced fumble. So, you know, is it is it athleticism? Is it motor, or is it a little mixture of both? A little mixture of both. He has a lot of athleticism, but um, he's got motor. He'll get in there. He's not. He's a very willing tackler, and he does a good job of getting guys to the dirt. All right. Looks like he's got a partner here, Quez Jackson, another linebacker. Um, leads the team with sixty six tackles. Five tackles for loss, one forced fumble, a three-star out of Fort Valley, Georgia. Um, where is he in the three-three-five spectrum of linebackers? He's that strong side guy. He's their he's their primary fourth rusher. He's the guy that they're usually bringing either at the snap or at a, at a delay towards the line of scrimmage to to confuse the run and to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, and he's their primary run stopper at the linebacker position. So he does a good job of stuffing things. Um, they don't push for a ton of tackles for loss, but he, he's usually right there if you're if you're holding guys to minimal gain. All right, good deal on him. The next guy is the guy that kind of caught my eye size-wise. Um, looking back at his recruiting profile and everything, is Jared Ivey, 6'6", 275, defensive lineman, 22 tackles, only a sack and a half, four tackles for loss, was a top 200 player when he came out in uh, 2020. 
We did offer him, just to put that out there, Tech did offer him. Number 10, weak side defensive end, four-star. But his recruiting profile, which would have last been touched in roughly, what, February yep. of 2020, he was way in 225. So in close to 16 or 18 months, that kid has put on 50 pounds at 275. That's I know guys can gain weight, but to get up that big that quick, it's no, yep. it's no wonder why he's starting. And what what's the tape saying, especially with that one and a half sack, Brian? Uh, he's actually got a really good pass rush. He plays the defensive end in that three man front, and uh, you know, not a ton of sacks as we talked about, but he impacts the quarterback consistently. He's getting after the quarterback, uh, making them rush throws, move off the spot, and things like that. All right, let, let me ask this because always with the three three five stack. You, you talked about Jackson being that fourth rusher. I'm assuming he's on the outside at the eight or nine technique. Yep. Is is Jared Ivy? Is he is he over the tackle? Is he shade right on the outside, or is he maybe even shading towards inside on the guard? He's usually going to be in a four or five. Okay. All right. So essentially, either right over the tackle or just on the outside of the tackle. So it's really funny. And I feel like we need to do something in the offseason, talk about 335 stacks, because there's so many different variations of where you've got some teams, right, that will run a 335 stack, traditional nose, and two three techniques, right? Yep. And then they'll have that one rush in, and then they'll have a hybrid guy who's doing stuff, you know, up and down. So that's why I ask if you if you if y'all think I'm silly out here asking every week. I ask because I know there are different alignments. Now the next guy, Brian, I think I know where he aligns based on his size. But Wanye Thomas, 6'3", 217 pounds, out of Niceville, Florida, defensive back, fifty tackles, three pass deflections, an interception, a forced fumble. I'm going to assume he's the strong. Uh, he actually plays the free. Oh, ooh, um, but six, yeah, three? Ooh, okay. Yeah, he plays the free. Um, a lot of single high, but he also plays some man, um, and he does a lot of good things. Really good tackler, um, but does a good job of of not letting things get behind him either uh, when he's got that uh, single high look. I got you. Um, you mentioned man coverage. What are they doing when they're running him in man? Because that's very unusual. Because essentially, if you're putting a free in man, you're playing zero. That yeah, that's when they're that's when they're bringing the house from that three three stack. Um, you'll get him matched up sometimes on the, like the inside slot receiver. All right. So, what would you do if if you're the offensive coordinator and you see this? Who are you trying to get to that slot position? What kind of routes are you going to be trying to run to get him beat? Because obviously, there is nothing behind that. Yeah, I mean, if you get that, I mean, I'd like the seam. We don't throw the seam very much. We haven't thrown the seam hardly at all since James Mitchell's been gone. Um, but, uh, you, you know, you'd like to attack there um, if, if you get that look uh, just matched up one-on-one there. But you can also do some other things where you can, um, like some outs from the slot to to maybe get him out of position or get a little rub on him. I got you. A little stiff in the hips, maybe, playing safety? A little bit. A little bit. 
So let's hope that we can use our brains and if they're going to be putting him up there to cover using some quick moves, somebody like Tay, actually any of the primary receivers we've seen this year um, there. All right, folks, so giving you some info here on the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Let's flip it over and let's talk about the Hokies. This is the Theta version. And I got all nerdy, Brian. And I told Brian a little while ago, Theta and trigonometry is the unknown variable. Well, we have an unknown variable and we're finding out about it. Um, And it's Justin Fuente. Why is he the unknown variable? What's he doing this week in game prep? Because he had been with the defense starting, what, the last three games of last season. Yeah, he was running offensive scout team. Essentially getting them point, run the offensive scout team. Last week, he moved. He was in the room primarily with the offense. Now, if you ask me, and I've said it Sunday night, and I'll say it again, I hope he stays in that room. We'll yep. say you, Brian. Yeah, I hope he stays in that room too. Um, the offense needs the most work. I think Jay Ham will get uh, some of the things that were missed on defense figured out. Um, I think Justin needs to stay where where he knows and stick with the offense. Hopefully we can get similar production that we got last week and give us a chance to win one. All right. And the first thing that to get that offensive production again is we have to feed the two running back beasts. We got to continue to feed Malachi Thomas, and we've got to continue to get Raheem Blackshear in the different looks and running the ball some, Brian. Do you agree? Yeah, got to get the the Malachi Thomas the ball as much as possible. Uh, we saw we could lean on him last week. And as you said, get Blackshear the ball in creative ways um, so he can do stuff in space. But also he did a pretty good job running between the tackles last week as well. Mm -hmm. So we need to keep sticking with that running attack. Yeah, I think we found the the rotation. um, And hopefully, you know, I know people can bag on Jalen Holston. Jalen Holston is a good short yardage runner. Use him wisely. I know people are still begging to see Marco Lee as big as that cat is still not there. Well, if he's running short yard situations, he doesn't need to pass block. Yep. Um, but feed those guys. You know, we had 430 yards of offense last week, and those guys were 300-plus of it. So if we're going to have any chance to win this week, it's got to be running with those guys and being creative with them. Yep. And and Brian, the next point you made here when we were talking, putting this together was, you know, it's the same old song and dance, but the intermediate passing game, and especially yeah, even more so when you talk about them loving to blitz the house and bring guys. Yeah, they they need to find some degree of intermediate passing game, um, especially between the numbers. Uh, we've been atrocious at calling plays or, or targeting receivers between the numbers, between the hashes, um, really in the intermediate and even in the short passing game. Um, so that that has to happen. Uh, we got to work all areas of the defense, um, and I think it starts with that intermediate passing game. Absolutely. And, and we have guys that can do it. It's just actually putting them into place in letting them do it. Um, and, and again, if you tell me we can pass the ball 16 for 25 and we average six, I'd be fine with that. Like a six per attempt, 150 yards. 
Because if we're doing that, it's it's the it's the whole death by a thousand cuts, right? If you've got the good running game going, but you're hitting those little short passes, eventually it's going to frustrate a defense to a point. Probably somebody's going to miss a gap, and with guys like Malachi and Raheem, you're going to get a chance to, um, you know, maybe break a big one because they're being so aggressive and everything else. Yeah, Malachi busted one big one, almost took another one to the house last week. I mean, he's shown he's shown that he's got at least the fourth gear. I don't we don't know if he's got the fifth gear yet, but you know, he's definitely got a a fourth gear. There's one other big thing this week, Brian, um against this team that we've got to have success and and that's going to be staying on schedule. Georgia Tech is not a good tackle behind the line of scrimmage team. They're 112th in tackles for loss, and they're just about as bad in sacks. They are about 89th in the country. So they're not good at getting people behind the line of scrimmage. And what we saw last week in the Syracuse game was the couple times that we could move the ball, we got behind the sticks quick. Yep. And I think if we can stay on schedule uh, most of the the downs and not let them – let something that's already not their forte come into play very often. Uh, that's going to help us keep keep the ball in the field for the offense. So big key, do not let a defensive team that is bad on you. Do not. This team's given up 30 points a game. We just put over 30 points on a team, team that was giving up about 20. I like to do the math and say, well, if we can get to just 10, we could get almost a 40 on them. But some tells me it's going to be a little different this week. But let's look at the defensive side of the ball. We got to roast them on Sunday night, even though we probably really did not want to roast them at all. But they've got their things. And the one thing I asked you, Brian, was what can we do to keep the defensive in stamina up? Yeah, first thing is, you know, keep bringing along Cole Nelson. That way you got solid guys that can come in there and get quality snaps. But I think the other thing you need to do is get creative with how you deploy the defensive line, Um, whether it's, you know, let Barno um, stay back in coverage every now and again or stand up, do do different things to to keep guys fresh for longer through the game uh, so they're ready to rush the passer and those key uh, downs late in the game. Let me ask this, Brian. What about 30-man fronts? What about essentially go to a kind of a 3-3 stack look where you play like Fuga at nose, play uh, Kendricks at the three technique, and allow Pollard Williams to play the four or five technique, and then let Barno or Garbutt stand up. Also, you have Chamari, who's a very good in his own right rusher for a defensive back. Could they do that, or is that too much schematic change? I think that's a little too much to throw on a team, um, especially in the middle of the season. I think if that's something that they had planned on in the offseason, you might see more of that. But, I mean, you could do wrinkles, but I don't think you can go full on like that. Okay. Okay, and I'm glad you said wrinkles because my thought is not – what if I said Syracuse ran 78 snaps, right? 78 snaps. What if I said to you 20% of the time, try to go into that set? Is that too much? 
15, 16 snaps? Uh, maybe a little too much, but if you could maybe, you know, 10 to 12 plays, you might be able okay. to do it. Because what? Because my whole thought process is, if you're doing this for Garbutt and um, Barno, is you take one off the field and you get them five to six extra snaps. And as we looked at the Syracuse game last week, it was really only about five or five or ten snaps that was the difference between a win and a loss with those last two drives. It's true. So, you know, we're trying to think of creative ways. Hopefully the coaching staff is. Um, what about this, Brian? Tell me what you want our defensive ends or linebackers or defensive backs to do anytime Jeff Sims decide he's going to do a read option. If you're the option, man, you need to run at Sims. Uh, make him give the ball uh, more often than not. I know that, um, you know, you're, you're essentially picking your poison there. Um, but if you can limit the amount of times that he's keeping it, that at least is a more predictable outcome and it's easier to stop predictable outcomes. All right. I, I like that option right there. It's essentially just say, because if you're coming at him and he keeps the ball, he's going to have to make a move yep. to beat you. And that's okay. Because if he's making moves in the back end, you know, especially running out of shotgun like they are, he's already six yards behind the line of scrimmage. If he's making a move to get away, easier, quicker time to pursue. The other thought was you hit him enough, probably just it, 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 the, the carrying out of the fake will not be as um, as persuasive. True. Popping five or six times and be like, man, screw this, just take it. I, I'm not trying to run at you now, dude. So – I like when Brian said this idea to me a little earlier, I liked it because it's essentially saying the man right there, Gibbs is going to beat us. Both of you aren't going to beat us. Gibbs is going to beat us. All right. One last piece of the theta version for the defense, Brian. We've already talked about them. McCown, 15 yards per catch. You know, Malachi Carter, over 15 yards a catch. Guys, don't let the don't let the deep ball beat you. We we can't get beat over the top. Yep. Um. And let me let me ask this, Brian. When we're, we're again we're getting we're in that mixture of zone and man coverage. What do you want to see? us like if you if you had to write out, you know, percentages. How much man? How much like cover two zone? How much cover three man under? How much quarters? What do you want to see against this team to prevent those deep balls? I'd like to see a lot of quarters because um, that that can confuse um, the quarterback. It can confuse uh, the receivers in terms of what the coverage is a little bit. And I, when I when I'm thinking quarters, I'm thinking kind of cover six, like quarter okay. quarter half. Um, and I think if you can do that, you can kind of mix things up with them and, and confuse them uh, in the in the secondary. I got you. Plus another way to keep all eyes on Jeff Sims when he decides to take it, so it gives you that advantage versus being the man. Yeah. Um, but, again, we, we didn't mention a couple other receivers, but you've got 
two other receivers. Adonicus Sanders is averaging over 14 per catch. And then Kalani Norson, this is the person only has five catches, 22 yards a catch, though, and two touchdowns. So 40% of their – so it, it's like the whole – well, they're a good running team. Do we really – you know, should we not take the risk and, you know, force them to throw? Well, the whole piece is – let them, if they're such a good running team, make them beat you with it. Don't give them the easy opportunities to go deep. Yep. I mean, it, it's as simple as that. Don't give a team who likes to run the ball easy downfield throws. So, all right, Brian, we've gotten to the point of the night where we have to give our predictions, and I'm going to jump first. All right. Georgia Tech, lost, Georgia Tech lost last week. They <laughs> – one loss, one loss, and this is a win week. I think it's another competitive game. I think you watching it at noon, um, you're going to have a lot of fun. I'm going to probably be coming back from my event at a little after three, looking down either to see a super tight game and wondering if I really want to get home fast to watch the end of it since I have no clue what's going on. But I think they're going to beat us, and I really think it's literally going to be one bad red zone possession for us and one good one for them, 35-31. Okay. You know what? I think I think a change of scenery is going to be a good thing for this team, and I think they're going to play one of their more complete games of the year because that, that sounds like exactly what a Fuente-led team would do at this point in the season is have one of those one of those games where you expect them to fail and they don't. So give me 31-28 Virginia Tech. All right, Brian goes with the win. I'll unfortunately I'm going with another loss here. I completely hope I'm wrong. Um, but Brian, we 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 didn't kind of discuss this, but how does this game have to flow to get to your number thirty-one twenty-eight or a reversal of my number thirty-five thirty-one? Yeah, I think I think the big thing is that we need to to get the offense comfortable again early. Um, and I think we need to do a better job is that when we get the lead defensively continue to hold offensively, continue to keep the, the foot on the pedal. Yep. I, I agree. I think this, this team under Justin Wente has less what the Arkansas game. Is that about it? Less the yeah. Arkansas game where they're a front running team. And I think get out, get ahead. But the other piece has to be what we didn't do against Syracuse. If it's 14 to 7 or 14 nothing, um, you know, we, we've got to jump. We've got to move fast. So gotcha. we, we've got to take advantage. If it's 14 nothing and we're, we get a midfield, we got to get at least three points to get them out of running with Gibbs. Yeah. All right. Got fired up there. Sorry. All You're right. good. You're good. Pick y'all. The boys are both over 500. We are better than flipping a coin if you take our advice. Yes, sir. And right now, this is what we're going to do. We're going to start with Miami Pitt. Miami coming off a really big win last week against NC State. Pitt is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite here, Brian. Um, I'm going to do the honor since I'm leading. And I'm actually going to take Pitt. I think it's going to be a good game, but I do see this as about a 10 to 14 point game, probably 42, 28. What okay. about you? 
Uh, I'm going to go with uh, with Miami here. Uh, I think Pitt still wins the game outright, but I think it's more in the, the in the touchdown range. So give me uh, give me Miami. Takes Miami, takes to you over Pitt. All right, Ron. This is just I don't know what to do with this one. So luckily, you get to go first. FSU Clemson. Clemson is a ten point favorite. Game is in, I believe, Death Valley. <laughs> what do you want to do? It's in Death Valley. What do you want to do with this one? Clemson hadn't really won a game by 10 points all year that matters, so I'm going to take FSU. He's going to take FSU. It's very true, and believe it or not, you saying that made me realize they haven't won a game. They've lost a few games by 10 points or more last week and the opener against Georgia. So, yeah, give me give me give me FSU too. Give me some points there. Maybe feeling it after that big UMass uh, win. All right, here's a good one for you, Brian. Syracuse coming off a big win. BC coming off kind of a letdown loss. Um, Syracuse is a five. Oh, it just went up. Sorry, six-point favorite in the Dome. What do you got on this one? Oh, this is me. Sorry. I think we're everybody's get right game. Give me BC. Give me the points. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think Cuse uh, continues to ride the success they had against us. Uh, I think BC is starting to falter a little bit. So I'll take Cuse. All right. I'm going BC again. If they choke it up again, then BC is becoming my new Duke. Speaking of Duke, Duke against Wake Forest. Undefeated Wake Forest, top 15 ranked. uh, Potentially could be in the top 10 of the CFP next week when it's released. Wake is a 16-and-a-half point favorite. What do you say on this one? Uh, I'm going to take Wake here. Um, I think Duke's still still floundering a little bit there. So I'm going to take Wake. I think Wake closes it out. Probably about it's probably gonna be right at that line, about 17 points. I think it's gonna be bigger. Wake didn't have to punt last week. They scored 70. They had the ball for 17 minutes. And they were facing a offense nobody likes to face. They couldn't stop them. Yeah. A lot of times even it's a it's a funky offense. It's sometimes it's a one off. And if you can score points, it doesn't really matter if if they're moving the ball on you. I think I think Wake's winning this game by like twenty four points. Okay. I think the game's going to be somewhere like Wake forty five, Duke twenty one, um, maybe a little more. The over under seventy, so a little messy there. All right, Brian. Louisville, NC State. Louisville coming off kind of a shocking win to me against BC, and NC State coming off a shocking loss to uh, Miami. NC State is a seven point favorite in this one. And I feel like whatever I do against NC State, it goes the exact opposite way, but I'm going to keep riding with them. I do think Louisville has their flaws, and I think seven's just a little too much. Um, it's not enough points to lay. So, so I'm going to take NC State in this game. All right. I'm going to ride NC State as well. Um I, th- I think that they're going to be able to take care of business uh, this week. Um, we'll see if Louisville can continue uh, putting up points. I think this might be the week where they struggle a little bit putting up points. So 
I'll go yeah. NC State. Probably the best defense that um, Louisville potentially has played all year. Louisville's four and three, and probably Wake Forest is probably the best defense they've played, and they did put 34 on them, and I think NC State's a hell of a lot better than them. All right, next game up, little uh, Notre Dame-UNC action. Notre Dame, three-and-a-half-point favorite. I feel like this is you, – you, I feel like this is smelly. Yeah, this is a weird one. Um, I, I still think this is Notre Dame, um, so I'm going to take Notre Dame here. Yeah. To me, it's a fishy line because Notre Dame has a good defense. It's not great but it can slow teams down where less us, everybody else is just scoring gobs upon gobs of points on UNC. UNC. Yeah. So I think I, I'll say this, the over-under on this game is 62 and a half. I think they got that pegged about right. Um, but I think Notre Dame's going to win this one by about eight, eight or nine. I think it's going to be an entertaining game. So, you know, if you, if you're, it's a it's a night game, seven thirty yep. kick. So you know, definitely a fun one to watch. But I'm with Brian. Give me Notre Dame on this one. All right, Brian. It's morning after dark. UVA BYU. UVA traveling out to Utah. Twenty fifth ranked BYU. BYU lane two and a half. What do you think on this one? Because this is an interesting one. Yeah. I- I'm going to go BYU here. Um, And I think this might be a week where we see UVA not put up video game numbers. Um, So give me BYU here. Yeah, I'm kind of feeling you on that. Because if you kind of look at BYU, um, you know, less the Baylor loss, they really haven't been giving up a lot of points. Usually – you know, under somewhere between 27 or under. Um, and they've scored some points. So, and clearly UVA's offense, um, you know, it's going to be a 10 o'clock start. It's going to be a late night start. I can't see two and a half points. I think it's, I don't know how entertaining it's going to be, uh, but I'm going to take BYU too. I don't think two and a half is enough to lay um, on this game. All right, Brian, I'm going to throw a curveball at you because we got to start doing it. With Tennessee off this week, we can't talk about Hendon. But you know what we can talk about? The hottest name released by Bruce Feldman for the Virginia Tech job. We're going to talk Texas State, Louisiana Lafayette, held by Billy Napier. Louisiana Louisiana Lafayette is a a 20-and-a-half-point favorite. Texas State's 2-and-5. and Louisiana Lafayette's 6-and-1, the only loss to Texas in the opener. What do you think on this one, Ron? Give me uh, Lafayette. I think they take care of business. I'm with you. I think our future uh, head coach takes care of business. (laughs) Is is this this your 1-1? Uh, probably not, but he's, he's, he's probably up there. Okay. Okay. Trust us folks. That episode is coming in the very near future. Don't worry. All right. We're going to close it out here tonight with two big, two big, big 10 matchups this week, Brian. Let's start first with Penn state, Ohio state. 
Ohio State is laying 18 and a half points. That is an absolute boatload of points. It's going to be at the horseshoe. It's going to be a night game. What are you feeling on this one? Six and one versus five and two. Essentially, whoever loses this game is out of contention to go to the Big Ten title game. I think Ohio State wins this one outright, but I like Penn State with that line. That's that's egregiously large. <laughs> yeah, it, it is egregiously large. But the way Penn State has played offensively, it it, it does merit. Um, yeah, they've been up and down. But Penn State has – I mean, everybody's talking about, well, Ohio State's offense has been really clicking lately. They played Akron, Rutgers, Maryland, and Indiana. And it's not the Indiana team from last year. That team is just beat up to hell. Yep. So I can't, I can't in my right mind lay 18 and a half points either. I'm going to go Penn State. I think, honestly, I think it's a, I honestly think it's probably like a 14 point game. It's a lot of back and forth. Probably Ohio State puts a hammer down with a few minutes left in the fourth quarter to get it there. And anytime we say that, right, it's like, I want to do this because this should happen. And then that's when you lose it. You get the bad beat. Like it's 30 seconds left and he fumbled into the end zone and they recovered for a touchdown. And you're like, yep. That's why. All right. Brian, the biggest game of the weekend, the networks both get it right. Everybody will be at Michigan state in East Lansing for number six, Michigan against number eight, Michigan state. This game is, I mean, in that rivalry, this might be one of the biggest games in the history of it because both teams top ten. Um, it's going to be a noon kick, unfortunately, so I will miss all of it. Yep. Michigan is the four-point favorite in this game. It has went down from four-and-a-half that it was a little earlier when we looked at it, Brian. So, um, I honestly – I'm going to go Michigan, probably because of my Harbaugh bias. That's it. Just, I think it's going to be ugly. I think it could be three, four, six, five, seven. I don't think it's going to be much more than that, but I'll lay the four. Okay. Um, I'm going to say – I'm going to go Michigan State here. I think it's going to be a three-point Michigan win, um, but I think – I think they state keeps it closed. It's going to be kicking a field goal to win it late in the game. Got it. So Sparty, or excuse me, Michigan kicks a field goal late in the game to wrap it up. One we did not get to just because there were we had to get a Napier, a lot of ACC games. One game that I will hopefully for the end of my life attend, world's largest outdoor cocktail party down in Jacksonville, yep. Florida and Georgia. Florida struggling, and I'll say this, <clears throat> say it again. I hope Georgia wins, and then I hope Shane can knock off Florida next week because I'd love to get Dan Mullen in Blacksburg. He'd my, my, and some people will be like, well, he's a retread. What he did at Mississippi State and how he develops talent, that's why I want him. Okay. All right, Brian, has anything broke in the last – Hour and ten minutes. Ah, we good lord, we were ten minutes earlier tonight, Brian. Look at that. Hey, we're becoming a more efficient offense here. There we go. Anything broke the tempo? Last? Tempo. 
Anything broke? Uh, nothing I see, man. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, boundarycornerbt.com. If you listen to all of our episodes, check out the last two weeks, staff evaluations and the essential pillars of why Justin Puente is failing. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube account and our Instagram. Also, favorite podcast source, Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music. We're on even more. Go there. You can check them all out. It's always without our buddy Jason Long plays in, and he plays us out. Check him out on Spotify and Apple Music. And as always, let's go. Hokies.